This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. I think... You know, he deserves that price tag for a reason. You know, you've only got to look at his um, his stats from last season. Um, you know, we've been working with him now, and you know, you can see the the quality that he has. I'm not even just saying that as a, you know, just because people want to hear it. It's genuine. Um, you know, I've I've done tra- I've had training sessions with him, finishing sessions, and there's no surprise to me why why he ended up getting so many goals last season. Um, and then obviously Matty, I've played against Matty a few times. Um, but when when I obviously played against Matty, he was always a winger. Um, I know it's only recently in the last year or two that he's actually he's moved back into into um, defence. And you know it's the same for him. You know he's so athletic, um, and I think that's what we probably lacked a little bit last year. Um, you know legs around the pitch, um, and I think that's what the managers tried to install um, to us. So. Yeah, Matty and Ollie have both been uh, both been brilliant in training and obviously the the good crack as well in the changing room. When I go home late at night, this is a song that I really like to sing right now, so I'll play it for you. It's uh, called My Old Man. Grealish, what a goal to win it, what a day it's been for Jack Grealish and Aston Villa and he looks like he's crowned it with a lovely volley to send Villa through to the next round of the Carabao Cup. Welcome to the Jack Grealish podcast. I'm Jack Grealish, your host and editor of jackgrealish.com. Joining me for this episode of, used to be my old man said, but uh, part of uh, Jack Grealish's new contract was the naming rights uh, of this podcast. So uh, joining me, uh, Jack Grealish, welcome. All right. And Jack Grealish as well. Hi there from the purselowunderground.com. <laughs> <laughs> We're all Grealish now. This is episode 115. Uh, it's, it's a Frankenstein episode because we've recorded this 
about three times and every time uh, we record it something else happens and the latest thing is Jack Grealish's new contract and in the same day he inspired Villa to go through to the next round of the League Cup uh, with a wonder goal straight from a corner a la the Derby County strike the wonder element is that it was delivered by Henry Henry Lansbury (laughs) (laughs) beautiful that was like doing his best Glenn Whelan impressions who does he think he is Glenn Whelan with a top knot ooh could you imagine (laughs) such a that's truly Frankenstein to take you right coming up in the show we'll talk about uh, Mr Grealish's new contract the Burton result the Manchester United result Uh, also look at the latest picture in terms of signings and in terms of the three points look at the latest Project Restart Stage 5, The Return of Fans, what's happening there, explosive events in Paris, and also Emil Heskey's new role in football. Before a closing underrated and overrated with Messrs Michael Oakes and Stephen Davis. Right, Villa News, we'll talk about it later. Jack Grealish, new contracts, was potentially always coming, because uh, as we've all said on this show, unless Villa got relegated uh, in Project Restart, uh, the most likely and logical outcome that he would remain a Villa player and potentially get an improved wage. And that's exactly what happened. Anything to add at this point? It's just a good lift, isn't it, for the for the club and the fan base? I think it's a good statement of intent by the owners, something that the fans have been looking for them to do. Probably the dare I say the best signing that the club have done this summer. Well, he was he was already there. You, you can't you can't go out and replace a greedish. I think that's the no. point that maybe yeah. Bud's Bud's making. That's what I'm making. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, you, yeah. You, you were not going to get a like for like replacement for Jack. So to get him to stay, you know, it's a, what was it a five year deal? Right. Right. Well, we'll we'll talk a little bit about that uh, in a minute. So we played a uh, friendly against Manchester United, beat them one nil. The the takeaways there were, was Smith went out full strength and actually used that game to uh, give Matty Cash and Watkins uh, a proper game in the, what will be very very close to the starting eleven. I mean, just Jed Steer probably is the only uh, difference from the team that will probably line up against Sheffield United. And a uh, nervy start from uh, Mr. Cash, but kind of got into the game. But the, the main headline was obviously uh, Watkins getting off the mark. And uh, then he did in his first proper debut against Burton as we uh, went through the next round of the Carabao Cup. I can't believe I just said Carabao. I should, I should have said the League Cup. When we beat Burton 3-1, inspired by a very, very bright performance by Mr. Grealish. I'm sure you'll agree. Yes. Mm. Just a mmm from Dan. But it was all firm, about Lansbury for me. Firm, yeah. <laughs> firm, yes, from uh, Mr. Bird. And it was all about the Neil Taylor cross, wasn't it, for Watkins? Oh, the uh, where what is the ball? Moment, yeah. Once he'd realised the ball was there. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, we put a bell in it for him. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of the news, George Boateng joins Delaney in the under-23 setup as coach after being promoted from the under-18s. I thought I, I, he seems to have skipped the under-21s uh, where he's probably needed more because they were battered uh, 8-1 by Sunderland in the EFL Trophy. Yeah, it was pretty a pretty ugly one. Pretty, pretty brutal. Uh, right, let's move on to the three points. It's almost an ongoing 24-hour, day-by-day situation uh, project recite in terms of the Stage 5, which is bringing fans back into uh, the grounds. There's a lot of talk about uh, 1,000 spectator pilot events 
which has been poo-pooed by Christian Perso just from the point of view of the costs involved in essentially opening up your stadium has a you know there's a base level of cost to do that and you're not going to get the revenue back from just a thousand fans it seems to be the October the first date will happen in other countries uh, at the moment but uh, I mean on a political level they're saying well you know even the next 48 hours could be key to uh, this decision I mean any any comment from you guys uh, well the situation outside of football seems to be going rapidly rapidly the other way so uh, yeah. uh, without wanting to crystal ball the future I suppose there's two elements for it for me that are exactly what Perslow says which is that you know what almost what's the point of a thousand fans it's it's not just the revenue side but I think that I think there's some scenes up at Aberdeen, Aberdeen where you thought what's the you know what's the point of this um, but I think actually the world around us could be changing pretty rapidly through September through to, to March really so I think it's uh, gonna be on the back burner. I mean, just talking to uh, somebody at the club, it's like unlikely kind of agreed with, you know, the whether we have fans back before Christmas is uh, a talking point, never mind October. And also there's still the question mark of whether games will continue uh, to be played as well. It's, it's even, uh, there's that danger of it being uh, put on hold again. Quite plausible. Mm, quite plausible. As I said, it's a, it's a changing uh, scenario. So uh, we're not out of the woods yet, put it that way. Point number two... They call it the uh, Le Classique now, do they not? They do. They've they've given it a brand now. PSG versus Marseille exploded uh, pretty literally, and uh, Marseille managed to uh, win that 1-0, but it all kicked off. I don't know if it's a case of sore losers. Uh, you don't really need a crowd to rile up uh, players into fighting, but uh, that game saw five red cards, uh, alleged uh, racism, Neymar going... Uh, Psycho punches thrown, people kicked. It's like a first proper bust up. It, it, actually, you, you would class it above handbags, would you not? Yeah, that was a full on punches thrown and all sorts. Yeah, just not one bad tackling. I think it was like the ninety seventh minute as well. So it had been a niggly game all game. Yeah, I think there'd been about nine bookings before that. Former Villa players getting sent off. Yeah, and just just chaos. Jordan Amavi. Yeah, Amavi got stuck in, and he, he saw red as well. So I think the game ended with five, five red cards and nine bookings. Was it Gonzalez and uh, Neymar that kind of spilled out after in terms of both yes. were, you know, it was he, Neymar was accusing him of racism. Marseille, uh, Villabouas has backed his player completely. So uh, we'll see how uh, that kind of spills out. But yeah, when you've got a game finishing with five red cards and nine bookings, it's not something that happens uh, every day is it now and apparently there'd already been a bust up on the touchline earlier in the game as well so yeah. clearly a game with a lot of niggle which is pretty rare considering there's no crowd imagine what it had been like with the full house i think they're just trying to build the brand i think it was all staged they're just trying to build le classique it's as like brand. wrestling <laughs> exactly <laughs> point number three emil heskey has a new job in football does he david what's he doing he is now i don't know what his actual official title is uh, there's like mentor ambassador but it's uh, he's has an ambassadorial role to support the development of women's football last month Leicester City actually bought, I think they're currently in the championship, City Women, who uh, actually formed independently, uh, I think about 16 years ago. So normally you would, uh, you know, you'd have a defined role, uh, like, you know, Villa Women's team have uh, Aluko as uh, the sporting director or mm. director of football. And, uh, but, you know, Heskey's remit, he said, I hope that my experience, input and ideas can help Leicester City Women transition 
to the next level. Ah, transitions manager. That's what he is. It's a very vague what he's actually doing in terms of uh, he's not doesn't seem to be at a coaching level. It's more ambassadorial. So uh, is it? He just puts his name and face to it and goes around and presses the flesh or fist pumps or whatever you, you do nowadays. <laughs> in in these times <laughs> yeah yeah i'm sure that's in the jd yeah what, what are you inferring oh nothing nothing he said he'll be an uh, an adept transitions manager for leicester city i'm sure yeah, i think his side role is to support head of women's football russ fraser to develop the women's academy setup as well mm. and improve opportunities for young female players in the region but this is something he's surely not qualified to do so i don't i think it's it's just a figurehead uh, situation is it not yeah it's probably to give them a bit of sort of gravitas if leicester have taken them on as their official team they obviously yeah. need to you know they'll, they'll feel the need to get a bit of momentum quickly considering you know, the men's first team are doing so well yeah well if he has a midas touch and uh, transforms them and they transition into a super league team <laughs> maybe we could take him <laughs> uh, by the look of what's happening to the Villa ladies, uh, after they, they played Reading, who got walloped by Arsenal, as most teams will be. But I actually earmarked uh, Reading as a potential chance to get points after Villa ladies only lost 2-0 to Manchester City. And mm. those two goals were you know real howlers to give away. But they were 3-0 down uh, very quickly against Reading. So mm. uh, it's, I think it's going to be a long season for the Villa women's team. Well, it's a brand new side, isn't it? They've brought in loads of you know, loads yeah. of new players, so I think it's yeah, it's always going to be a, a difficult first year. Yeah, I think they did all right in like friendlies, but uh, it's obviously that's what other teams are doing, trying out players. So it's yeah. it's going to be a, a tough uh, season uh, for them as well. Before we go on, just a quick thank you uh, to the My Old Man Said patrons. A uh, quick shout out to. Uh, the good folk who have uh, signed up in the last week or so since the last show. Uh, at the moment, you can get 15% off because uh, there is now the option to uh, pay for the year up front and get 15% off, which is two free months. Thank you very much to Alex Taylor, John Thompson, Emil Kabawatz, I hope I pronounced that right, and also James Houghton for uh, signing up for the year. And thanks very much to George Share as well. If When you sign up for a My Own Patreon, not only you do get extra podcasts and bonus shows you also get uh, access to match club we're back in full glory uh, for the shuffle united game so do uh, check out myomansaid.com click on the patreon link and find all the details there and join us for the start of the premier league season or belated start to the premier league season for villa turning anyway. up fashionably late Just uh, before we talk about the the uh, transfer picture, let's talk about this uh, Grealish situation yet again. I think it was a bit strange from the turn of the year onwards that there was this adamancy amongst, this, especially the local press, that Grealish was gone already. Yeah, they were saying it was a done deal. But just the way you know, your I don't know, your you know, your Greg Evans, etc., were talking about it, and you're thinking, well, either you know something, and I and I was thinking they were talking so assured that they they must have had a tip off that he was off ski because logically I I couldn't work it out. H why is he already going? Why would you not? bugger off last season Villa's season was always going to be a transitional season we're not going to be challenging for Europe we weren't oven ready like Wolves were when they got promoted it was always going to be a, a bit of a survival battle and uh, you know with that overhaul of players so if Grealish wasn't up for it why would he uh, 
consider oh, I'll play one more season at Villa and then I'm off. Villa wouldn't be interested in that because Villa want to actually uh, set about, I mean, we're talking new owners with ambition, set about actually doing something. So why waste a year even, you know, just uh, almost harboring Grealish for a season and then he's going to move on because the club's more important than the player. I mean, some people are talking about signing players so Jack Grealish can play in a certain position so, you know, it boosts his England chances. But, you know, that's, that's not the thinking. The thinking is you're building a team around Grealish to actually excel Aston Villa Football Club. I think what you, I think what you saw with the whole debacle from the, the, the press side was that one, there's clearly a, a news vacuum out of Villa Park, which is a positive thing. And I think for the first time, aside, aside from one or two very reputable, well-connected journalists who tend to get information at the 11th hour as well, um, there's not a lot out there. So I think the Grealish thing's always interested me because I think at the turn of the year, you know, Villa's deterioration of form, I think it was reasonable to assume that teams would be sniffing round. But the, the telling thing was in his in his interview post post signing of the contract, really, that, that this... This took up until uh, what Saturday the the tenth, eleventh of, of September to be resolved, and I think that's as much as as much as Villa actually on the one hand elevating themselves to gain some of these targets. In that, as you say, I, I don't think it's about building a team that that we can around Grealish so he can become a, a good England player. Villa need to to anchor Grealish to the club so that they can establish themselves in the Premier League and actually become a credible a credible force again. And that's that's a, such a long term plan and a long term thing to say, but. But without doing it, it's it's a huge statement. It's a huge statement. But some of the things that were in the press were just laughable. And and I think if you look back on them, complete fabrication as well. Fabrication, insulting. You you look in you know in the let's say a wider context in terms of news coverage and the whole fake news thing. I mean, this is on another level. It's almost cartoon journalism. It's not. It's, it shouldn't be in newspapers. It shouldn't even be in, you know on blogs. But uh, you know, th- there's no excuse saying, "Oh, we're just we're like uh, running as a news aggregate, so we just put out everything that's ever said, including any tweet by an Aston Villa fan." But the situation, you know, when you break it down, and I broke this down in February on the website, you're looking at Manchester United's fan base, which is actually massive. So you keep a transfer rumor going just because you know you're going to get clicks. Then you create, you know, Aston Villa's fan base is top ten probably top six in terms of size so if you can get them paranoid they're going to click as well because you play on their fear so you've got two of the biggest uh, fan bases lapping up whatever you write about it and uh, that is big part of the the kind of a economy of uh, how this plays out in terms of ad revenue etc but to do it so relentlessly and then get to the point where when he signs a new contract suddenly the manchester evening news comes out and go yeah yeah no there was never any firm you know firm interest and you've got dean smith saying there's no in an interview there's there was no uh no contact about him no we'd said it you know right right after the, the point of getting safe we, we we thought if if the rumors to were, were to be believed that the the release clause and villa's valuation of greenish would put people off and man united were supposedly in for sancho but also buying Van der Beek and Fernandez at half the, you know, they got two mm. for the price of eighty yep. million, and yep. that European market, you know, they they were getting good value there because they were getting players that were around the same age as Grealish, but had already played at the top top level in the Champions League where they want to be. I, I do think there's two other elements as well around uh, around a move for a for a marquee English player at the moment, and that is the, the we're insulated from that with two quite wealthy owners. I think that the the collapse of Matchday revenue for a club like Manchester United can't be underestimated. 
Yeah. And the other thing is there's a significant, there has to be a knock-on effect now for Premier League teams with the collapse of the, the TV revenue deal. So there's the obviously a significant amount of money that hasn't come from China. Yeah. Uh, and that, you know, that money's not there. That money's not going to be dis- dispersed to teams. And that that's a big deal. I, I do think you've seen it with Spurs. You, you definitely see it with Arsenal, the fact that they're, you know, they've, they've, they've essentially got to sell to buy uh, West Ham. Many of these teams haven't got the revenue. Um, and this this was, I mean, it, you know, it's there's no such thing as COVID being good timing. But in terms of keeping Grealish, that was just another factor yeah, yeah, in yeah. why would he go? I mean, you look at Manchester United and they're scraping around trying to structure a deal to get Sancho because they can't just like drop a big one one off sum of cash on him it's you know they can't structure their books that way to justify it well united are a weird one because uh, you know we we sat with a group of united fans who did the uh fsa awards didn't they and, and they they weren't particularly complimentary about the about their owners and um, but the, the fact is that they have one of the lowest injections of cash from ownership in in the division yeah so it's it's a very weird time and i do think that that strengthened villa's negotiating position um but also a number of those teams are are in some phase of transition themselves as well and i think it's does greedish want to go and sit on the bench or be part of some half-assed rebuild you know mid mid covid I, I i think that there are there are unique elements to this that play played in our favor as well as the fact that we we do seem to be making some progressive moves in the transfer market ourselves yeah i mean it, this is different from your dwight yorks your bosnicks and your ashley youngs going to an established manchester united team that almost guarantees they'll pick up a trophy that's completely different exactly. and also and also we're in an age now where because of tv rights and although they are you know dropping a little bit because of the circumstances, clubs can keep their top players because they can pay them wages that, uh, I mean, once you're getting paid 100k plus, how much more money do you need, really? It's not as like you're going off to Manchester United to double your money because I don't think they're going to pay him double what we've just offered him. No, I mean, we we discussed it a few shows ago that as soon as we heard of the new Madison deal at Leicester, yeah. It was inevitable that he's, you know, they're, they're good mates. They're clearly going to talk. Jack would know that he is at a, a level now where he would demand the going rate for a, you know, a Premier League talisman of a club. It's, it's, it was just kind of, it was always going to happen, especially once, you know, Madison got that deal. Yeah, that was that was another step in the uh, the path to this new deal. Yeah. yeah. EA Sports, though, they've, they, uh, they they know what they're talking about. That's all, <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. They 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 can see things without uh, hype glasses. But we saw. I mean, his performance against Burton was uh, that bang on the money. That was, yeah, uh, was, was the perfect just... perfect reaction. He was very effervescent, and he provided pretty much everything uh, and all the energy. But he it was apparent that he needed more of a supporting cast for sure. Well, he was the best player on the pitch, wasn't he, by a, a country mile? You know, both teams sort of struggled a little bit in possession. I mean, I thought Burton were, were, you know, sort of plucky and they got their early goal just from sort of shock and awe, really. I don't think anybody had got going. All of a sudden they got the chance. But once Villa got going, you, you just you, you could tell we didn't quite have the, the snap in our play that we'd have with someone like a Louise or a McGinn or Horahan who can play off Grealish and move the ball at pace where, you know, if, I mean, the reality is, you know, this season, especially in the Premier League, we're not going to play too many teams who will park the bus against us. So that was probably no. a new challenge for Villa. But I thought, you know, Grealish was involved throughout really and, you know, three three well-constructed goals and got the job done. So well done. Yeah, it was looking a bit hairy at one point that it was heading to penalties and you thought, yeah, we 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 need three or four more attacking options uh, yeah, for sure. Come of the come of the hour. I mean, we sort of got bogged down in the, in the early maybe we third did. of the game. 
Um, yeah. But we we never panicked, did we? That there's been there's been plenty of games against, especially lower league opposition. I mean, hell, we we lost to Burton, didn't we? Just just two seasons ago, three seasons yeah. ago. Aye. You know, has seared into our collective memories. But I thought with Grealish, we do, I mean, it was it was plain to see that, that he needed, as you say, a supporting cast. And, and that was the case many, many times last season and probably the season before as well. I think that the one thing I made a comment, I think, in Match Club before the game, that it was going to be an interesting test of fringe players. And I've reflected on that. And I think fringe players is, was perhaps the wrong word that I used because many of those players are actually squad players. And that if in the event that we got an injury here and now, they would be some of the players who stepped into that void, and and then they're not good enough for what we want, what we want to do. And we, yeah. there's a little little bit of sentiment with one or two. Um, you know, I, I I don't want to single out Lansbury. He says about to single out Lansbury, but you can't you can't just do one thing in on the 90th minute. And it was a fantastic ball to Grealish that he hammers home. Don't don't get me wrong. We we bought Lansbury off on the on the back of him being an energetic. Um, dangerous midfielder who you know was fired up fired as well, up. but he's, we've never seen that. He's, he's limp. He's it's how many sexual innuendos can I get? He's impotent, <laughs> <laughs> but he's he was anonymous, and that's such a cliched footballing phrase. But Burton Burton had control of the of the centre of midfield for for large passages of the play, and, and I was which I was, is the concern because that happened against Manchester United in that friendly as well. Did, I thought Young right. Ramsey was kind of carrying. Lansbury at times just for the, just for energy. I thought Nakamba put himself around and he puts a shift in, but he's he's not. You know, when you've got the ball, he's not going to offer as much. That's a good observation on, on Ramsey, and it's it's the first time I've had a, a, a I think a, a real good look at him, and it's a, tidy. a competitive game. But you can't you can't you struggle to benchmark him against a Lansbury really, because then you know later on, very late on, you see and we know all about Louise and his and his qualities, but. We really do need to improve upon that because in the event that God forbid a you know a Luis gets suspended or an injury or whatnot, and you, you you're looking to reshuffle the pack, and I know we've got the hoorah hands of this world, etc. But it only takes a couple of injuries, and then that's your option, and that's the that's the kind of thing that makes and breaks seasons as well. Just on that point, the timing of Grealish's contract. Mm. There's two things. I mean, he admitted him his, himself that he said they made me an offer that I, you know, to be honest, I couldn't couldn't refuse. So one was the money. The second thing was that FaceTime call with uh, mm-hmm. Nassif uh, Suarez to outline the ambition. And they he must know that X, Y, and Z players are coming in. One would be Martinez, one would be Traore. But there's got to be more than that. They've probably potentially told him about or who they're after to convince him. Uh, you know, saying that, there is no real offers on the table. The only danger with the Grealish situation was if somebody swooped in on deadline day or, you know, in, in, the, in the final embers of the... Uh, the transfer window. What it does is it, cl- it closes down the risk that you could go into early October. I think it's the seventh or the ninth of, of October. I think it might be the seventh of the transfer window closes. You know that that would be a very, you know, a month into the season, you, you could see top teams who are struggling or have maybe took a, an injury to a to a, a marquee player taking a big money gamble, and that that closes that argument there. Yeah. Um, and I think for Villa as well, it, it it's always been a, a not really an apparent issue for us in recent seasons for fans because we, we've been a selling club and we, we were in terminal decline for, for four or five years. But to be in a position, you actually need quality players to lure good players to your football club as well because on, on the yeah. flip side, you need to demonstrate some intent. Why, why would you sign for an Aston Villa if, if your best player is Anwar El Ghazi? You know, it's... <laughs> Is he? (laughs) (laughs) But if Jack Grealish leaves, (laughs) well, that's the thing. If I mean, it's like taking the head off the chicken. There's nothing. There's nothing left. I mean, uh, you don't sign. Oh, because they got Mings. You don't really sign if there's you know for a centre back. No, exactly. 
exactly. But, I mean, it's all played out nicely for Grealish's agent because these are the arguments he would have used in the discussions. The whole identity of the club is on Grealish's shoulders and the club have declared, you know, that is their uh, intent and uh, it is their strongest card from everything on the pitch to, you know, the markability of this club. I mean, you just look at when Sky do their indents, if they're using four or five players, Grealish is always in there. So he is, he is the identity of the club to the nation and to the to the media. So he's in a strong position. Yeah, the fact that he scored a, a relative wonder goal the same day of the contract being signed, it just it may, it gives the lazy press the headline that they all wanted. Yeah, it's the perfect tapping for them. Speaking of tappings, I was impressed with um, Watkins. I thought he probably could, maybe should have had a hat trick, but he certainly should have had two. But the first goal was well crafted by Grealish and. Uh, Neil Taylor? Yeah, I think I said in Match Club, it, it, when I th- r- recall back last season, we, we scored quite a, quite a few decent goals and I don't recall many tap-ins, which is the kind of thing that your Tammy Abrahams were getting in. And, you know, all good strikers uh, always, you know, there's a huge percentage of those because they're in the right place at the right time. And Watkins in that Manchester United game and Burton has He's been in the right place at the right time for those goals that we probably lacked last season. Yeah, he showed last season on so many occasions for for Brentford that if you give him service, he'll score goals. And he and he struck me as a bit of a nuisance, you know, more than one occasion. And we have to be careful yeah. because we, you know, we're talking about a friendly and a and League One opposition with with respect to Burton. But there were a couple of times where where he sort of went fishing for the ball in and around the the, the D. Yeah, and there were a couple of times where there was two or three players around him where I thought, oh, "Was he? You know, he's going to lose the ball here." He quite cleverly rolled a couple of times where he found the pass in a sort of a Keenan Davis kind of way, really, because he doesn't have that physique. But his movement is dangerous. He got his goal. He'll he's he'll quick. probably he's he's very quick. He's very smart. Um, the the early signs are very promising, and and I, I, he can stab in as many six yard goals as he wants. I think uh, I'd want him to take the one that he hit the hit the bar with, to be honest. Yeah. Um. You know, it's important that that we reflect on that a little. But he'll he'll know that. And the fact is, he's getting those chances. He took he took the key one, and it, it brings a lift, doesn't it? That we it does feel it like does. we carry a threat straight away. And even with you know Keenan Davis getting his goal, I think that's yeah. big for Keenan Davis. I think big it's morale big for the boost. team. You know, it was a well you know another well constructed goal, a great finish, and I think they're just the the, the fan base. Although they can't get into the grounds and the team, that it feels like a an air of optimism again. Well, there always is at the start of the season because people go full goldfish, <laughs> full goldfish. They forget about what happened. Uh, but the I, mean, I, I mean, if I'd refer back to sort of two, three weeks ago, it, I know online is what it is, but the, the, the mood within the fan base was if we don't buy players, we're going down. Um, everyone was kind of panicking a little bit, and it's kind of like I think what you're probably saying, what you're saying, you should probably hold back until a few days' time when we've actually got those yeah. bodies in. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order mug delivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. So on to Ollie Watkins. This is a, a strange one. I mean, I'll start off by saying uh, I remember being in Box Park after the game when we got promoted and uh, started talking to a few people. And, you know, one of them came up to me and said, you know, what do you think about, you know, Tammy Abraham, he said, I don't, I don't know about Tammy Abraham. If we were offered him 20 million to get Tammy Abraham, I wouldn't take it. Now, you know, I disagreed. I thought, well, you know, Tammy Abraham, somebody who, you know, he's got a bit of everything and he, and he chases and he runs and he, you know, he, for a, for a lone striker, he kind of fits the bill reasonably well, even though he needs about three chances to put one away. But the fact that that was even a debate one season ago, the reason I mentioned Tammy Abraham is somebody who scored a similar amount of goal to Ollie Watkins, albeit you know there was a handful of penalties in there. But now twenty million is uh, is like almost nothing for a, a a championship player who's had one decent season. But even a year ago, it was a, it was a debate. Now I thought Ollie Watkins started the transfer window. They were saying, yeah, twenty million. Brentford want twenty million, and you think, eh, hang on a minute, let's let's see if we can get that down. Then it was twenty five. And I thought the scenario that was playing out was Villa of thinking, yeah, we don't want our pants pulled down by this 20, 20, you know, 25 million for a championship player. Nobody else is going to come in at that. Let's let's be patient on this and the, the price will come down. Uh, it didn't. <laughs> it went up. It went the other way, didn't it? <laughs> Which is bizarre because I think, I mean, I'm only speculating here, but if Villa went in straight away at the start, you know, the final whistle blows, Brentford are out. They get beat in the playoff final. You go, here, we, here you go, lads. We don't want to give you 25 million, but here's 25 million. I think Brentford would have snapped, snapped our hands off. Would have had Ollie Watkins in for a good you know, month pre-season or how many weeks uh, there is, and uh, we'd probably be better prepared than we are now, having spent uh, 28 million rising to 33 potentially. Yeah, it feels like one that's somewhat needlessly dragged on. You kind of, you know, mm. you could see that when you saw the video footage of Watkins you know, being embraced by Dean Smith and they're both were just saying, finally, yeah. which would suggest that it's just like, oh, great, well, you're here now. Let's get this crack on after probably, you know, a month at least of skirting around it. So, I mean, Dan, speculating, what, what do you think happened? Because it's, as Chris just said, it's as if it was always going to happen. But you thought the reason why Villa would, would hang, you know, hold tight a bit was just to get that price down. Hmm. And mysteriously, that link to Spurs came. And I saw somebody, wasn't a fan on Twitter, I can't remember who it was, said the the, the Spurs thing's a smokescreen. Well, I think a few things played out. I think I, I do think Villa were, are and probably were exploring different options, um, or at least trying to demonstrate that they were. And I think it was the timing He's of... been called number one priority, sorry to interrupt, but no, he's no, been no. called number one priority. I, I think he always was, and this is where I think that the, the narrative is. I think that what, what unravelled was, I don't think Villa were nearly as serious about, about Callum Wilson as was made out. And I think the manner in which he went to Newcastle played against us. And I think it, it gave an air of desperation, if you like, to Villa needing to get a... I'm going to say, is it dangerous to say a marquee signing? Because I, I do think we've spent a, a, 
it is an eye-watering sum of money on on what looks to be a very promising striker, but untested at the top flight. That's that's obvious. Um, and I think that we got to the point where we couldn't risk one of either. I don't think a Spurs were in for him. We were entering more pay territory. I think where you're starting to quibble when if you're going to go to twenty. 22, 25, you, you might as well go to 28. And that sounds, I can't believe I'm saying that. But yeah. what do you think? My, my theory is that if you went in at the start for like 25, you'd have got him. I, I think there's a there's a game that always plays out in these these transfer windows where he, he will have sat tight. Well, his agent will have sat him tight, probably hoping for um, not, not necessarily a bidding war uh, between Brentford and Villa or another club. But I think around getting the best terms possible, you know, he comes to Villa Park, I think, on a five-year deal. You know, that that's a... That's a big contract. It's a serious contract and commitment on, on Villa's part. Yeah, but at the, at the same time, uh, his age plays in favour. I mean, mm-hmm. if you compare it to the Callum Wilson situation there, the situation you, you had there was, I mean, he's reportedly, so we, we'll have to go with this, is around, uh, or, you know, circa or close to 100 Hundred thousand a week at Bournemouth. Yeah, yeah. Now he's not going to take a drop in wages, whatever he's on at the moment. But if he came to Villa on the same amount of money, you're going to have first thing that's going to happen. You've you've totally upset the up, apple cart there. Yeah, you're going to have yeah. Grealish knocking on your door. You're going to have Mings knocking on your door. So suddenly it's going to cost you a hell of a lot more just to keep the morale up and uh, keep. Uh, I don't know. Maybe even McGinn's knocking on your door. It destroys the wage structure, doesn't it? I think that's exactly that's, that's the point. And I think with a, with a Wilson is, and these words tend to come and bite me in, in the ass. But though he's got Premier League experience, he he has he has had two serious knee injuries and didn't impress me massively last season in a team that needed needed a striker, a, a, you know, a leader who was twenty seven, twenty eight to stand up and be counted. Really, you know, a, a striker in a relegated. We'll talk team. about him. Talk about him in a second. I just mm. wanted to compare the the wage situation, but mm. uh, Ollie Watkins comes in and. You're not going to pay him anywhere near that in no. terms of wages. No. I mean, he'll be doubling at least his wages, so he's happy as you know, like a pig in shit because he's uh, he's up. Well, that's the real crippler, isn't it? To clubs is the wage. Yeah, you don't you don't actually uh, compromise either Grealish's wages or Mings or any of the uh, you know the top players. So it sits nicely in that respect, even though you've paid that transfer fee. I think it's a very important point, and and there are there are financial controls in this, which sounds crazy when you're talking about laying twenty eight million pounds on a player. But it, that's the thing that really stung Villa in the sort of 20, uh, 2014, 15, 16, is that we were we were hemorrhaging cash on players on long term deals who were on exorbitant wages and. Yeah. Um, I think Villa had something like 150% wage to to revenue ratio when we got when we went down, and it's something like 60, 65%. I think now, you know, that's far healthier. But you you have to, and I think as well, Watkins is is an investment, as you say. That five years for a 24 year old looks a lot better than than splashing out two thirds of the same valuation in terms of transfer fee, uh, and probably double as much. In respect of weekly wage, Newcastle have given Wilson five years. Yeah, uh, four, I think, and you know, and that's. But it's the wage thing. If if they've committed to a hundred thousand pounds, and and the reports are quite wide, but he was on at least seventy at Bournemouth, and as you yeah. say, he's he's not gone there for free. Um, yeah. It's a that's a serious investment. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be revisionist because if he came to Villa, as long as the terms are right, but the problem is, I think was the wages there. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have minded because I think it added to the squad of strikers. And and I when I see him, we've said uh, on the show before, when I've seen him in the flesh against Villa, he's impressed and I think Phil uh, Phil Shaw said he's put it this way he's not a player you don't like him playing against you mm-hmm. regardless of you know stats or whatever but 
but he's had a, you know his best season in the Premier League was after his double knee injuries uh, in two, 2015 2017 so I, I had mm. no problems getting him in but you know when all the excuses for why he, why he chose Newcastle it's always about the money and it would have yeah. been about the wages because Villa wouldn't cross a certain line because it's suddenly it's a whole world of hassle in terms of uh, you know your other players who uh, want to know why suddenly this chap's come out of nowhere he's not in the England team while two of our players have just broken into the England team in the last year and uh, you know should be uh, earning more than him I mean I think you know, how it probably played out in reality if you saw you know his, you know, his uh, arrival interview at Newcastle was probably something more on the lines of Villa put a bid in I think it was reportedly of 21 million probably got to sit down and talk to his agent had you know 30 seconds of dialogue of this is how much you want and I'd imagine having you know seen what Perslow's like he probably politely told him to fuck right off (laughs) it's the Fernando Torres of finances with Perslow's nickname wasn't it yeah Chelsea But yeah, it was an equation that Villa couldn't really compromise and that's why they lost out on it. You know, you're looking at it from the outside, you're looking at, oh, Villa, ambition with owners, it's settled, everybody's smiling, everybody's happy. Newcastle, uh, you know, they're battling the Premier League, the the fans hate the owner, it's like a club that you don't know what's going to be happening there next season, so you'd probably take a punt on Villa as like the team going forward. But you know, it's all about the money and wages. Show me the of money. It, would yeah, have, of course it is. And, and it's simple as that. So you don't it's, blame especially him. Especially at, uh, you know, at Callum Wilson's point in his career, he's thinking this is probably my last big move. Yep. Whereas Perslow would be thinking, well, if we buy him for, say, 20 million, we are never going to make profit on that. Yeah, Watkins potentially, if he has one good season at Villa, you could, in theory, make profit on him. Could you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's wow. possible. Yeah, of course you could. <laughs> is there is there another limit above thirty three million? Budonomics, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, Budonomics. <laughs> well, you look at some of the shit that was bought last year in the Premier League, like Jolinton and what Everton paid for Richarlison, and and what's the Haller at West Ham? These are all forty million pound strikers. They were Villa all paid for Wesley. I mean, there's a couple of clubs. Mm. I mean. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> I'm joking. Kind of. <laughs> the, 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 <laughs> I, I like the look of Watkins, put it that way. He's, he's got all got, the attributes. He's got everything that you would want and everything we need right now. He can run in behind. He's got a bit of pace. He can finish. The fact that he scored 26 goals and none of them were penalties means he gets in the box and scores. It does put yeah. pressure on our midfield now to say, well, you've got someone who can put the ball in the net, but you've got to give him service. It's a funny point, and uh, you made at the beginning of the segment, really, that, that it's something that it's only really been the last two or three seasons, as I see it, it was Villa have, have sort of turned the ship around, is that championship players do suddenly command, it's a real extortionate fee, when I was thinking of this with Ben Rama as well. That yeah, we've been brainwashed, haven't we? It was Villa that did the brainwashing, though, wasn't it? When we when we started throwing money around like it was going out of business when Shear first came in, we like, you know, McCormack and Codger and all these people. We had, wasn't it, yeah. the first £10 million player mm. in the championship? Mm. It's our mm. fault. We did, yeah. We did start buying the alleged best players of teams in the championship, and yeah. you know that so far we've bought the Forest's new best player because before it used to be Lansbury, <laughs> and now we've bought the uh, the Championship player of the season as well. So uh, yeah, you're right there, Chris. That's a good observation because mm. get rid of the last year. Well, it lasts two years, and if somebody said, "Right, you know, Ollie Watkins, twelve million, you'd go, yeah, a bit of a gamble, but you know, you know, he scored twenty six goals in the championship, worth a punt." 33 million. Yeah, what the fuck? Imagine what it's going to be like next summer. <laughs> I mean, the problem is it's eggs in one basket. He has been declared by Smith in the, you know, the interviews that have been going around as the priority. So if he does, you know, chalk up four goals for the whole season, where does that leave the judgment that made him the priority? And 
Mm. You know, because people say, oh, yeah, what, what are you worrying about the money for? You know, who cares if it's 33 minutes? It's not your money. But yeah, that may be one thing. But it's like when your parents buy you a present. You might not like that present. You know, you may think it's a good idea at the time that you wanted it, then suddenly you don't want it. But the thing is that parent's money is no longer around to buy something else. And this is the problem in terms of the Watkins deal is, you know, they have a budget. They have a rough idea of what they want to spend. And if a big chunk of it backfires and doesn't work, then you haven't got that money to uh, buy something else. No, I, I think the, just to wrap up my final point on Watkins, I, I'm not sure where else Villa could have gone. I mean, your other options yeah. are to look onto the continent. I, I do think we're in in a, in a tricky second season phase where how how much we appeal to a team as a recently survived side from from the first season after promotion, and I think that's put off the likes of Celtic's Eduard. You know, openly said that they basically want moves to teams who are you know challenging higher up the divisions yeah. of the elite leagues, really. Uh, and and the secondary thing is is Villa's Villa have got to balance, haven't they? And that's the point around the fee that we can't have our pants pulled down massively on wages, and we're in that halfway house. Some of the comments around Watkins and what's expected, I think, is right. He's he's there has been a significant outlay on him, and you do have to put pressure actually on these players. They're they're, they're incredibly, you know, he's going he stands to be, if not already, an incredibly wealthy young man. He's now yeah. got to deliver, and reasonably quickly. That's uh, that's the problem. There is pressure on him, but you know Smith will obviously know the caliber of the man mentally. If maybe that not having fans there initially is an advantage. But, you know, maybe although you know he may be a personality that needs the the crowd to get him rocking and rolling, mm-hmm. but. At the same time, he's not going to have people going, getting on his back uh, in the first few games when he's trying to warm up. And what you're talking about, Villa being uh, not as attractive proposition. I mean, we we can you know sit on this show and say, what do you think Villa are going to do this season? We you know we can merrily talk about mid table, but the outside world, uh, the bookies uh, at least, have us as uh, one of the three favourites yeah, to uh, yeah. get relegated. Yeah. <laughs> it's us, the Baggies, and Fulham at the moment for the drop uh, as favourites. Uh, so that's the reality. I was going to say it's it's stepping back and and not looking through a Villa prism, isn't it? That we somehow recovered and survived, and I think that all of Villa's issues were you know were there for the world to see and watch, weren't they? And um, I do think we've made improvements so far. I I, I hope we make some further moves in the transfer market. What do you think of Matty Cash? Before we we go on quickly to uh, talk about what we think is going to happen ahead. Yeah, I'll, I'm happy to stick my neck out. Looks looks a very good player, very promising. Um, you know, bit made all the right noises when he joined, but his, his stats seem to, seem to stack up. I like I like the fact that he's a very modern right wing back um, rather than a right back. I like that uh, and good competition in a position where we we need it shaking up really. I think both Watkins and Cash will bring us extra spark and energy. I mean, yeah. that's yeah. Uh, what that was the thing. That was the thing we needed. Then they both bring us yeah. a bit of pace, Scores a bit goals of energy. As well. Yeah, and they both seem to have the right kind of personalities. I mean, I know we obviously we dipped into the you know the international market a lot last summer, and I think you know without making this sound like a Brexit fucking podcast, I think ooh, we needed ooh, to go into Brexit. the ooh. yeah. I, get, I think we needed jingle. to. I think we needed to go into the British Bud market sick. this year just because I think you didn't want loads of new personalities coming who couldn't slot in quickly. I think Matty Cash, it'll be a very easy transition for him. You know, he'll only live, you know, what Nottingham's like an hour up the road. He can stay where he want the way he was living before if he wants. I think Watkins will settle in quickly because he knows Smith and Richard O'Kelly. So these are guys who can hit the ground running rather than you know buying a load of players and then potentially taking another six months to bed in. We can't afford yeah. to do that again. So I think they're both quite Good buys for you, know, for you know for where we're at now and for what we need. As Dan said, I don't think we were going to go and do like what Everton have done and gone and got a you know a James Rodriguez or a you know that yeah. marquee huge name player. We're just not at that point, and I I don't see them out there to buy anyway. I mean, if we got Rodriguez, I'd be I'd be quite happy. 
<laughs> it's one of those. Yeah, like, and complain. It would be like, wow, is, this is like proper marquee on top of like the practical, you know, Watkins, your practical cash. Just a little bit of. Uh, it's a sexy signing, isn't it? A bit of a Ginola, but Ginola was always past his best. That's the unfortunate thing about him. And that was just, was it Ellis just getting him in just for to flex and he was in such bad shape yeah. wasn't he <laughs> no but you know what i mean he was past yeah. his sell-by date he, but but rodriguez i think he's still got a tune in him so, you know i liked him a lot i always liked the colombian national team uh, in in world cups and in that 2014 he, he him and the boys were, were pretty amazing so it's quite interesting listening to his lies in his interviews uh <laughs> the unveiling <laughs> Lies for the Everton fans. It's quite funny, but he doesn't know where he is, does he? No, no, <laughs> he hasn't got a clue. <laughs> where? I thought the, I thought the kit was red. <laughs> yeah, he just went and did the Anfield Stadium tour, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. mm. Angelotti doesn't even know where he is. I mean, look at no. his face when he's being interviewed. He's ooh, one eye's ooh. looking one way, one eye's looking the other. He's com- completely confused. <laughs> he just knows somebody's pumping loads of cash in his bank account. <laughs> it's true. They're talking top four. Good luck to them. Sacked by Christmas. Really? <laughs> Emmy Martinez. Yep, I don't. I don't mind that one. It looked pretty good post lockdown. Although it, that one looks that one looks expensive as well. Yeah, I think I think Martinez would be a good signing. It's a lot of money as well. Being quoted, Villa had fifteen million turned down, twenty million, fifty thousand pounds, and a four year deal. Is yeah. Admittedly, is it a good age for a goalkeeper? I'm hoping he's good. I mean, uh, to he's be honest, very I've only seen, regarded, him, isn't he, only seen a few games, to be honest. Ten uh, years in the reserves. He's, he's the uh, Argentinian <laughs> Jed Steer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, fair play to him, though. It says a lot about his personality that he can sit around for such a long time and then step in and really take yeah, his chance. Sit, sitting around on £20,000 a week. Yeah, nightmare. What a tough life. <laughs> the Argentinian Stuart Taylor. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> The transfer window closes on the, well, there's, there's kind of two, isn't there? There's the uh, EFL trade where you can loan players out. That closes on the 16th. But to all intents and purposes, the 5th of October is when it will close. This is after we've played three league games. So it's quite good that we actually uh, play less games before the transfer window than most of the other teams, bar, you know, bar three other teams. What players do you think have to come in in terms of positions and let's let's say at least have to come in before uh, October fifth, position wise. We need eleven players, judging by. <laughs> yeah. Do you think we need a centre half? Going to throw that out there. I would only go and buy centre half if they're going to genuinely improve you as like a starter. If you, if you, if someone said you can go and spend twenty five million on Ben Rama or twenty five million on a really good centre back for Mings, I'd go and mm. buy a better centre half. But I think. Mm. The way Konza played towards the end of the season, I think he's deserving of having the shirt at the start of this season. And that's not really out of sentimentality. I thought he did really well and he improved a lot. Oh, he definitely improved. I just wonder whether... Tarkowski, if, I mean, if he was offered to Villa for 30, would you would you drop that on a centre-back? Yeah. I, I would, and I know it sounds terrible. I, I just think that we, if we have the opportunity to improve on anywhere across the pitch, yeah, I think we we've have got to. to do it. I, I don't see a huge amount of options out there, but... I just think last season we a lot fell on Mings. Um, I thought we were fortunate that I mean not fortunate perhaps, but the concert improved. But with Engels has has not been available, seems to be plagued by this Achilles injury. Um, House I, I like, but I, I'm not sure he's you know he's a backup. Level. Penny. Um, standard, yeah. yeah, he's a backup. Mm, so I think if they are, like you say for the, with the Burnley centre half, I think that's that's something to keep an eye on. And 
you never know, you know. No, I don't think they will go for him. Uh, but uh, I, I think that some mm. of the players they bought, like your Konzas, your Engels, I, I, th- I think they might lean to giving them another season to see uh, see where oh, they absolutely. are. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It doesn't need to be wholesale change, yeah. Yeah, instead of dropping 30 million on a centre-back, I think they will let those guys play out a bit. I do think we need a, an attacking midfielder. Winger? Yeah, there was talk of Joshua King and... Rashica, a few people, Milo a few people, yeah, a few people are still trying to talk about Ben Rahm. I, I don't, I still don't see that one. I happening. think he's going to London. Yeah, yeah, he'll mm. stay where he is. <laughs> I hope so. I, That'd I, be I hilarious. <laughs> Traore looks like it's a done deal. I mean, he, he was obviously with Chelsea uh, back in the day. Was it 2017 yeah, before he went a, off to, uh, and they would loan him out to uh, Vitesse and Ajax. But he had two decent seasons with Leon, and then last season was a bit of a sticky one for him. Uh, I mean, highlighted by missing the penalty in the shootout of the, the French League Cup that gifted it to a PSG. And he was also frozen out their Champions League exploits when they got to the semis as well. So interestingly, like a year ago, Everton were mooted to be in for him for about 25 million. So his price has dropped because of last season. So I suppose Villa are taking advantage of that. But I think he does provide something... Uh, we, I think we've classed as like X factor. You know, for example, if he was on the bench and you wanted to change something, he does offer you something completely different. I think. Yeah, I mean, the fact that you've got the likes of you know, you've got a Grealish or a Trezeguet or whoever who can be on the left, but they can cut in on their right foot. We haven't got that on the right. We haven't really had that since Snodgrass. Uh, yeah. This guy looks to be a, a little bit more mobile than Snodgrass and a little bit more of a physical presence. So. Um, and more pacey. Yeah, obviously. he's just more direct, which I think that seems to be the remit of all the players we're going after is that they need to have a bit of pace and energy and legs. And, you know, geez, we were saying that, you know, this time last year. So while people are, I think it's people are 50-50 about this. I've seen Leon fans uh, kind of reading their tweets in French saying, uh, Villa, you're being stupid, but we we love you as a club, but you're being stupid. <laughs> and of a, <laughs> and of a, you know, the, and a lot of uh, Leon fans thanking us as well for giving them some money for him. But it's a bit harsh. I I, I kind of like the idea that he's something different. Whether we uh, get the other chap in as well remains to be seen. I think if they're available, I think you've got to, you've got to take the the chance now. I think this is the difference between the, the the transfer market a couple of years ago, where you might have gone, yeah, we'll spend eight, ten, twelve million on a on a Ben Rama. Suddenly becomes twenty five million plus. Yeah, that changes it, doesn't it? Do you think we need another striker? Well, there was two stages of the old, uh, is it Ryan Brewster, the Liverpool chap. And the first stage was, uh, the rumour was as a loan. And I think I wrote an article saying there's actually some logic to that if it's like a short-term loan to like January to cover Mm -hmm. Wesley, because Wesley's not coming back uh, anytime soon. And and not match fit either. So, uh, So he would cover Wesley. So Wesley wouldn't have to rush back. And then if he goes in January, he goes in January because, you know, I think he wants to get involved with Liverpool. And if Liverpool are still in all those tournaments, they'll probably need him uh, to spread across the games. But then there was that story that he was, uh, you know, potentially deadline day could twist Liverpool's arms. They haven't decided yet that he might be uh, available for like 20 million. But I don't think I don't think you would go well, full you've, time. You've also got Oregon, haven't you, at uh, Liverpool, who's being gently, I think, touted around. I don't know. Are they Liverpool in a position where it's one or the other will actually leave? I think so. I think that you've got to be careful with these sorts of players because, I mean, Origi's sort of got a bit of a reputation for being a bit of a super sub, hasn't he, at Liverpool and scoring some important goals, but he's not knocking on the door of first-team football regularly. Brewster's untested at senior level, really. 
And I, well, I was thinking, twenty, of, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. And and he's still he's he's on that cusp of of, of breaking in, into someone's team. But I, I think of Bournemouth. Bournemouth went on a run of buying players from the likes of Liverpool. A couple of their players who you think, oh, you know, they've they've been brave. Yeah, they slanky, didn't they? And but they paid big money for players who. Where are they now? You know that they yeah. they weren't even being picked last season. Yeah, I times, agree. You know, and I think there's there's also a, a, there's a bit, yeah, there's a there's a big case for that wonderlust. Pers- oh, per, yeah, persevering with Wesley. Exactly. Yeah. You've got you know for the money you spent, you've got to. He has to be the first or second choice. I think Keenan Davis will probably be your sort of third or maybe joint third and fourth with Samata. But I think Smith will look at it and go right. I've got the guy who I wanted to lead the line, and now I've got options. Um, you know, in reserve, yeah. I now I now have four strikers. You know, whether or not you think they're four top quality strikers, but they have four striking options. We'll still only play one up front. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the thing I liked about Wilson, and when I'm talking about Wilson, I'm also talking about getting Watkins in as well. Is suddenly you've got somebody who, uh, as a, I'm just talking squad member, you've got somebody mm-hmm. who's mm-hmm. got the Premier League now, which none of these guys have. Watkins hasn't kicked a ball in the Premier League. Wesley's had a few, you know, few games played dead in a few games, scored a few goals, but <laughs> hasn't, you know, not not exactly a season Premier League. Uh, Keenan yeah. Davis hasn't scored some matter. You know, he's had what, like one shot, one header, and I think he scored one goal. But upshot, lack of experience. So I just thought Wilson does add something, but in terms that you don't pay massive wages just to have that nice balance no. in the squad. It's no, no, like no. Uh, if you if you want an experienced Premier League man, he's, he's either your top man or uh, he's like an older chap who's not on the biggest wages because he's, you know, he's your super sub or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I also wonder if there will be a view to maybe promote a couple of the the younger lads, you know, obviously the young Ramsey who obviously you know, scored a couple of goals against uh, in the win at the um, the Emirates. Yeah, where, where was he I, I when don't... Sunderland r- rode through us mercilessly? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I wonder if any of those guys will... 8-1. Be sort of, yeah. Yes. I wonder if any of those guys will be sort no, of... fuck those guys. ...eased through. Personal they're scene all, enough. <laughs> they're all going into the glue factory after the 8-1. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Got to make those Villa dogs somehow. Yeah, purse level. Purse level. Move the goalpost again. If you haven't made the first team by the time you're 16, it's not going to happen. <laughs> if it's in everybody's contracts, if you get beat eight one by Sunderland, you're off to the Villa dog factory <laughs> to either be in the Villa dog or to work at it. <laughs> I don't know which one's worse. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> Anyway, so uh, this transfer window, just the way it's been pretty stagnant, might be one of those, because in the last few years, the, the transfer deadline day has probably been the biggest anti-climax. Uh, oh, it's been rubbish, hasn't oh, it? goodness, yeah. Since we signed Samata. Would, but, um, uh, <laughs> would you guys take someone like Twan Zabi back on a little loan for a year? Mm-hmm. Or is that a waste of a transfer? He was injured a lot last season. Yeah, that's the thing. I think mm-hmm. he's almost a year behind in his development, but he was a very good player. And you just wonder if, if you can keep him fit, he could be a you know with a sort of a buy to a loan to buy type deal. I don't know if that ship has sailed. I don't think he's given you anything really on top of Konza. And if you're giving him games on some temporary deal, you're getting in the yeah. way of Konza's development, really. So no, I, I get that. Yeah, I mean, like the Cahill thing was kind of quite tempting. Because yes, you can yeah, see yeah. the short-term uh, benefits of that in terms Parallels of while to the Terry deal wasn't there with that. While you're uh, developing, well, we're developing more than one, you know, one centre back with probably all of them, including Mings. I would say uh, are, are learning. Then mm-hmm. that would have made some. There was some wisdom in that deal. So I think Truro coming in will. Uh, it, 
adds that wild card that we that we haven't got, but we do need uh, other options because, as Dan was saying earlier on, you're just a couple of injuries away and you're looking uh, very similar to last season. Yes. Right, now it's time for underrated or overrated. This is where we look back to recent, relatively recent uh, Villa history and uh, look again upon the wonders uh, that are some of our ex-players and uh, come up with cases why they may be underrated or overrated. Sometimes memory is a strange thing. You forget things or uh, mythology takes over or the the power of uh, Aston Villa's uh, social media to turn any player into a legend could uh, take control of your brain. Up for discussion, Mr. Stephen Davis and also Michael Oakes. I don't know why we went for Michael Oakes, uh, but uh, it was a name that was thrown up a couple of weeks ago and we thought we'd slot him in uh, now. Maybe because we're signing a new goalkeeper in uh, Martinez. Who shall we go for first? Let's go with the goalie option. Let's get Mr. Oakes out of the way. Why did we sign Michael Oakes? Well, he he came through the youth setup, didn't he? So it it wasn't necessarily a a signing as with others, but... Found himself eventually as second choice you know, in the matchday squads around the sort of 95, 96 season, didn't he? Once Nigel Spink had left the club. Thinking back, it's kind of rare that you actually get a goalkeeper who gets through the youth setup and actually uh, becomes, a, you know, either a number two or a number one. But, you know, never mind number one. Let's let's go for number two at the start. Yeah. Well, he was on the bench, you know, in the end for the, the Coca-Cola Cup final win. I think Spink had left. Yeah. By that point, um, so he was already sort of starting to stake a claim. He hadn't he hadn't got into the side yet. I think his his first debut, uh, you know, his first appearance came at Sheffield Wednesday on the opening day of the following season when Shakara Bosnich got injured through a period where he kept getting injured. But we lost that game two one, and basically Oaks would spend his time at Villa being understudy to to Bosnich, wouldn't he? And he was lucky because uh, Mike Bosnich had a couple of habits uh, related to his off the pitch activities so there was always a chance of getting games as a, yeah. as a number two yeah imagine imagine he turned up for work most mornings expecting to to play <laughs> yeah. oh what are you doing here <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those keepers that you knew you wouldn't oust Bosnick and if yeah. Bosnick left yeah. we would buy another goalkeeper so uh he didn't convince you that he was uh you know, like this, for, say, for example, Nigel Spinks, who took advantage of coming on in that, you know, cup final, European cup final, and, and would go on to be, uh, you know, our number one. This wasn't that case. It was, he he, he just he just smelt of being back backup keeper, didn't he? Yeah, and he, he lacked the the sort of X factor that Bosnich had, you know, in, in, in Mark Bosnich. You're talking about probably one of the most iconic keepers in Villa's history, certainly in the, you know, the recent history, you know, for all his sort of, off-field antics and the fact that he couldn't kick a ball for shit. He was an amazing <laughs> shot stopper and he commanded his box, didn't he? He was a, you know, he was a fantastic goalkeeper at Villa. We we got him at the peak of his powers. Yeah, I mean Michael Oakes was uh mostly known for and the the, the rumor going around that the the halt was his uh, the size of his schlong. <laughs> But, uh, but uh, him and Dion Dublin, apparently. But uh, let's not speculate. It's none of our business. Halt folklore, apparently. I don't. How, how do you find out? So who who leaks this information? That's what I want to know. I wish I had a rumour like that going around about me. <laughs> <laughs> I might start one. <laughs> well, but yeah, but you don't want... To, you, you're like the Michael Oakes of uh, Villa websites. No, it's not true. Check the <laughs> analytics. <laughs> <laughs> 
Funny enough, he ended up, uh, as uh, Sarcic recently ended up, mm. uh, disappearing off to the Wolves. And as as we said, he never convinced anybody that he would be number one. Although he did, you know, he did stake a claim at one stage where you thought, Meh. yeah, well, he was he was part of that side that went on the twelve game and beaten run, didn't he? Um, yeah. At the start of the sort of ninety eight ninety nine season, again, Bosnich was in and out of the team with injuries. Uh, I think he made about sixty appearances for the club, and you know, was. You know, played in sort of Europe with Villa, and I remember hearing Gregory talk though that Oaks, when they started, this is obviously early days of analytics, that Oaks couldn't handle being in front of the whole end. Basically, he kept conceding goals in front of the whole end when we were at home right. um, in the first half of matches. It's just a stat that kind of came up, and they just realised that he couldn't. You know, Bosnich was like this larger than life character, and I think while Oaks was probably technically technically quite a good goalkeeper he could certainly kick better than Bosnich yeah he just didn't have that sort of I'm scared know, of called, the whole ten is that what you're saying just, yeah just X factor or whatever you want to call it yeah he's a big fucking pussy <laughs> they all just, wanted his schlong he just didn't have the the confidence basically <laughs> everyone go what's, what's, what's that what's that sausage <laughs> and then <laughs> they wanted his villa dog and then <laughs> he was ahead of his time he was ahead of his time in came David James, so what more can you say? <laughs> yeah, I bet it when he saw James, right? Oh, so for fuck's sake. And he was Packed off, wasn't he? I'm going to Wolves with Froggit. <laughs> yeah. So uh, where where is Michael Oakes now? Well, he's at Wrexham as the goalkeeper coach. I think he, he had a short spell hmm. at Warsaw last year, but he's basically been at Wrexham for the last few years. Is he bald now? Because he was losing his hair yeah, when he, he was, was like 20 what? odd, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. We had very yeah. thin hair. I'm, I'm all about the physical attributes yeah, of uh, yeah, my yeah, colleagues yeah. for some reason. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I, because I can't find much else to talk about. I mean, yeah, uh, he's a bit he's of a, a base. base one. He's, he's not one of those goalkeepers you think, oh, there's that wonder save against such and such. He or made the, some good saves, though, to be honest. He, he, had, he had his moments. I remember there was a, a little, that spell during the unbeaten run. I think we went to West Ham and Han, uh, Alan Hansen was waxing lyrical about him. Um, yeah. where you know, we should have got battered that day and, and Oaks kept us in it. And um, I mean, I, th- I suppose ultimately he was very fortunate that, you know, he had a very good, you know, back four in front of him, you know, yeah. with Southgate well, and Ekiog, uh, who would have helped him get yeah. through games. But to mm-hmm. be honest, uh, I think he, uh, for the career that you would have expected him, I think he got a lot more game time. Uh, I think, as I said, he was lucky that Bosnick uh, sometimes was, uh, it was a keeper that, let's say, was missing uh, more than a regular number one. Yeah. Yes. Mystery illness. Anyway, overrated or underrated, Michael Oakes. Dan? <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> scared of uh, saying anything. Uh, overrated. <laughs> <laughs> Based on what? Oracle, Chris Budd, we have to refer to it. <laughs> He's tracked him down to Wrexham and pressed up against his bedroom window. Going, He's bald in there. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd... <laughs> his cock shrunk as well. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'd go with overrated just just because I remember you know he was playing in a very very good Villa team at the time mm. and yet his the number of clean sheets he kept was minimal. Clean sheets, yeah, clean sheets, yeah, and um, <laughs> and you kind of wonder, well, why was that? Yeah, as has happened with a number of Villa players, they they don't. He never left Villa, and you thought, well, fair fair play, you know, he, he maybe he'll go on and do bigger, better mm. things, and he he just, he just didn't. Yeah, when when you've got yourself in a position where you know you've had a run of games and you've been in a uh, you know that unbeaten run, that's that's where you stake your claim. Mm. And the fact that the club looked to David James as the solution 
Mm-hmm. You've got to, as the answer, you've got to uh, ask yourself what actually was the question. I mean, David James, to be fair to him, uh, was was pretty sound in the league. It was just he was, he's remembered for dropping that ball in the FA Cup final. Must have hurt, hurt Oaks's feelings when Calamity James, because he still was Calamity James at that point, was yeah, signed was. to replace you. Yeah. You know, that must be a, a kicker. Right. I'll, I'll go for overrated as well, just from the point of view that uh, he actually got himself in a better position that you would ever expect for a uh, number mm-hmm. two who clearly looked like a number two. Yeah. And it's easy to argue that he was underrated as well at the same time, because I think he, you know, he had more games and saw more action at Villa than perhaps uh, you would expect him to. So he would mm-hmm. be underrated in that respect. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm going. I'll go overrated. Right, Mr. Stephen Davis, this is one... uh, There's a couple of players that always throw up the name Martin O'Neill straight away. (laughs) And this is... Gary Cahill is one. Mm. This is another. But Stephen Davis, graduate from the Villa Youth Setup. Sorry, why did we buy him? Well, we didn't buy him because he was one of the, uh, let's say, better graduates from the Villa Youth Setup in the Mm. 2000s. Yeah, he part of the 2002 Youth Cup winning side, wasn't he, that beat the... uh... Wayne Rooney Everton. Uh, Everton side yeah with the you know the Moore brothers and Liam Ridgewell and Peter Whittingham because back in the day it didn't get mentioned do they st- they don't mention the youth cup as much back in the day before you know media was 24/7 especially football media nobody nobody would talk about academy teams and the uh, the only reference would be the youth cup so yeah. as a football fan and that the youth cup's only really mentioned when it gets to the finals if he suddenly says, oh Aston Villa in the youth cup final you're mm-hmm. thinking ah and that was really the only gauge as, a, let's say, a casual football fan. I remember watching it at Villa Park in the, the Trinity Road. Yeah, Star. I went to that, yeah. Yeah. So that's that's the kind of uh, the was main it indication. Final? It was. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was a big indication that your young players are really good as if they mm. go into the East Cup final because there's a good track record of players mm. actually making it from those kind of teams mm-hmm. and then when when did he uh when did he start to get into the team what was the setup? couple, couple right? of years later it was uh in 04 so that would have been under uh o- o'leary wow truly so has graduated so he made his debut against norwich as a substitute for nobby solana oh. and then the uh and then the following season though he pushed on which very few players do to that level. He was, he was actually the, the fans player of the season, young mm. player of the year and player of the year for the 05-06 season under O'Leary, which if you know if you remember was, well, if you do remember, it was a very forgettable <laughs> yeah, era yeah. for the club. We, yeah. were, we were dreadful that season. Yeah. You've got a bomb-resistant memory if you remember that season. Yeah, it was a, it was a he real... He got my vote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was... Um, Who's that young was, kid? Yeah, I'll give it to him. <laughs> Yeah, it was. He was. He was probably the only bright light that season. They wouldn't take my vote for Eric Becker, <laughs> which which is interesting because that is the context of uh, the big debate about Stephen Davis. Is with that as the foundation for the discussion. Mm. Martin O'Neill came along, and this was uh, the defining uh, moment uh, because not only did he get rid of Gary Cahill, who was another product of the academy. And proven himself, uh, it has to be added. But also, Stephen Davis went, and they went mm. for a similar fee around mm. the five million. Gave mark, them away. Stephen Davis went to Fulham, and and the understanding was he was. I think Martin O'Neill thought he was maybe a bit too uh, lightweight and physic, you know, physically in the middle of the park. But there's also the old conspiracy of uh, the fallout not wanting to play for a former Celtic manager because uh, of an allegiance to Rangers, which I don't know if I buy into that. No, I, I remember there was there was rumour at the time, wasn't there? There was even like some ridiculous rumours about, you know, like sectarian stuff, which I think that's that must have been 
you know, nonsense. But I mean, in Martin O'Neill actually said it in interviews that perhaps he's a bit kind of lightweight. Possibly, because he's a very similar player to Petrov, which is strange because Petrov came in and at that point when he first arrived, he didn't stand out really. Because I always saw Davis as like a tidy passer and maybe there was a role for him like, you know, Kevin Richardson or something, the one that kind of, t- you know, keeps things ticking over. I think they'd have played very well together actually thinking about it and it was a, with the benefit of hindsight, I mean, his, his career didn't reach the heights of a Cahill um, and not in the domestic game anyway, but you look at he was very has been very very consistent on the international stage, and he, he actually carved out quite a long you know a few years in, in the Premier League. Well, he scored League a winner against England, and so you've got a situation where he's scoring the winner against England. Which what's the height of what, what he can do in football? Like that's pretty high up in terms of can he, can he cut it in the you know in the in, in the English game? And you know he played for Southampton as well, and you know he was their captain, and he, he pretty much was successful everywhere he went, mm-hmm. including Rangers. Yeah, he was great at Southampton, wasn't he? He was, yeah. he was a yeah. really, really consistent that's where he player. Really, that's, yeah, that's where he really kind of put his flag in the ground as a, as a top Premier League player. Yeah, he should never have been sold, should he? So that, that's the situation. I mean, surely he's good enough for any any squad at that time, and especially when you're looking at the type of squad we had, where we were, I always felt we were a one decent midfielder away and one 20-goal uh, striker away from getting in the Champions League. And we just, O'Neill made some, let's say, poor recruitment decisions because he had the ma- the cash to get those kind of mm. players in. And uh, I think keeping Davis is uh, kind of one step in the right direction. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I I understood the Cahill thing at the time. As much as, you know, it's very easy, you know, in hindsight to look back and go, well, why did we sell, you know, Cahill? He went on to have a great career. At that point, he was behind players like Melberg and Larson and he, he wasn't going to get the game time. I think Davis probably would have got a bit of game time. And then you had people like Rhea Coker and Petrov. And then obviously Barry had kind of transitioned hadn't he between from being a left back yeah. or a centre back to being a central midfielder and then obviously the season after you know we went out and bought you know the likes of Ashley Young and um, you know Downing arrived a bit later on and Milner and these kind of players so he, he might have found his game you know the game time less but I think he was probably deserving of the chance to stake a claim which always made me think well has something happened behind the scenes perhaps. Or he had ambition to be, uh, you know, first team player. That's uh, perhaps one of the uh, the main reasons where you'd actually go right. Yeah, kind of had a, I've had enough of this. Well, especially to go from being, you know, a, a, you know, winning every award that is there to be won at a club one season, to, you know, a yeah. year later to be out the door is is quite strange. Because O'Neill was funny with Sean Maloney as well, where he mm-hmm. bought him because he got him on a good deal. Mm-hmm. But then you're thinking, well, what happened to Davis? And you're thinking, well, you know, Sean Maloney's uh, if. Martin O'Neill prefers a bit more of a physical team, especially because uh, he's built up on the counter. He, he wants you to defend. But it's finally, and this, this was like a watershed moment, he finally decided, well, I'll go Maloney and Carew up front. We played Chelsea. Maloney scored, you know, him and Carew combined, and Maloney scored two goals. We were 2-0 up, and he thought, this is the fucking way to go, lads. Maloney, Carew, and then suddenly uh, Zach Knight got sent off. Uh, wasn't his fault. For uh, I think it was a, an alleged uh, foul on Shevchenko, and he didn't really. It was a you know blatant. He played for it because we went down to ten men. O'Neill first thing he did was take Maloney off, and uh, Maloney didn't get a chance to you know get on the second half and score his hat trick. And the rest is history. And the, and it just turned into this crazy game that was the four four, was mm-hmm. it not? Yes. New Year's Day or Boxing Day? Yeah, I've never yeah, been so angry yeah. in a game because you go to an eureka moment where you think, and that was the only real time. Those You never hardly played Maloney again. No. And you just couldn't understand 
oh, we, we're playing Chelsea. They're no fucking, you know, they're no schmucks. And we were 2-0 up and we were, you know, we were crushing them. It, it, that would have been a comfortable win if that sending off didn't happen. But, you know, Shevchenko's no schmuck and uh, played for it, got the decision, scored and got a player sent off, double punishment. And uh, then the game just went absolutely nuts. But we're, we're digressing from uh, Davis. But that was just... I suppose, you know, O'Neill had a few hard decisions to make and you didn't see him in his first 11. And that's why ultimately uh, Davis got out of there. But underrated or overrated? Unless you've got any lasting memories of uh, Davis before. I remember he scored uh, a great goal against Charlton, didn't he, when he, he chested it on the edge of the box and then blasted a volley in the top corner. That was a that was a great goal. Yeah, he was a smart player, technically, you know, yeah, very, really good. very tidy and smart. I remember him scoring at the Hawthorns. Um, in front of the Villa fans, I think I think we won the the derby that year. It was either two one or two nil. I think it was two one. But there is a huge distance of time now. I mean, I'm surprised yeah. he's still playing. It's it's, it's yeah, yeah, feel, yeah. feels like it's twenty years ago. Or well, something. it's t- testament to his professionalism, isn't it? And, he, and he's, I suppose his fitness that he's managed to you know keep going. And he looks like he will um, beat Peter Shilton's was it all time British international appearance record? Yeah, 125 caps. He's yeah, yeah, he's which is 30, amazing. 35 now so I mean that is um, if you, you know if you're looking at Martin O'Neill and if you're judging it on that I mean you can't really complain if you are the, in Britain the highest international cap winner yeah yeah it's, inc- it's incredible you know it's a great achievement to retire on especially for a team you know like Northern Ireland where you know you're not going to get the opportunity necessarily to play in World Cups I mean he was very fortunate he got to play it was in the, the Euros wasn't it yeah, I mean, you're looking at international players for Ireland, modern day heroes. You're looking at best, obviously, Pat Jennings, Jerry Armstrong, Sammy McElroy, just for their 82 exploits. And then Stephen Davis is probably the modern day, uh, you know, he's El Capitan. Mm. Yeah, and I think f- because of his international exploits, I would say because of that, he's un- very underrated. Yeah, I'll go with underrated from a. And for sure, you know, it's like staying power and consistency, even if he's not necessarily like a glamorous player. Considering his career has taken place largely over a huge period of time where we have absolutely been gash and struggling for mm-hmm. cred- credible players, uh, yeah. you've got to give him the underrated. There. Definitely underrated on that basis. Phil Shaw will be happy. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Thank you very much uh, again to all the uh, My Old Man Said patrons uh, in the close season that have signed up and uh, we look forward to getting going with Match Club again. Please do uh, subscribe to the podcast on all good podcast apps that you listen to and uh, especially if it's Apple or Spotify. Good to uh, have Mr. Rogers back. Always a pleasure to speak to Mr. Bud. And until next time, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from them. Goodbye. Goodbye. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.